Good morning from uh, this side of the planet, um, the Sonoran Desert here in Arizona, Phoenix, Arizona, USA. Uh, it's a little after 10 a.m. and I'm joined, of course, by teacher underscore FPL, as he's known on X, Lucian, as he's known in-house here. And you are joining us for the Net That Hall Game Week 11 matchups review show, which just like the title to review Game Week 11 one takes... Wait, we're only 45 seconds in, so I can't say what it takes, but it takes something that we'll talk about later. Um, and and But one thing it does take is it takes a sense of humor, I think, to review Game Week 11. Um, so we're going to start with that in, in the slide. Uh, Nima usually prefer, prepares our slides, and he prepared this one, of course, um, with uh, with these two legends leading the way, Mohamed Kudus and uh, and Jeremy Doku. But I, I thought we, we couldn't start the show without a little nod to Darwin, uh, to Darwin Nunez. Um, because he was cooking this week, and he, uh, Lucien Darwin was cooking. How are you today? I was worried that the number of points I would get this week would not reach 11 points. Really, <laughs> it's that bad. <laughs> uh, but I made it, I made it somehow, I made it to double digits, and I'm grateful for that alone. <laughs> yeah, I mean. Like I said, when when we're shooting for double digits, it takes a sense of humor here. So um, if you are listening on the podcast, do come check out the, the graphic. It is uh, a post from Troll Football. Um, I don't know if you follow him. And just like a, a good representation of Darwin Nunez when, when he's cooking with the uh, um, just come see it yourself. I won't be able to do it justice. Um, I am excited to see how the people in the chat um respond to this because i know there are a lot of darwin there's a lot of darwin love out there but we're going to kind of get right into it here got several friends in the chat welcome um do hit that like if 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 you like where you are and you like what we're doing um we'll start with the game week 11 review uh, i'll read the scores really quickly actually you know what i'm not going to read the scores uh, this week i'm going to go straight to the to the best performing players of the game week and this is just a nod to how dumb of a game FPL is. This is the top 30 players here. And of the top, of course, is, is Doku with 4% ownership. Of the top 30 scoring players in game week 11, one, only two, two had, an, had an ownership of greater than 10%. And one of those was Bruno Fernandez, which if you still own Bruno, you didn't want to own Bruno. You know you didn't want to own Bruno. Um, you're certainly happy for the returns. But really, it was just Trippier. Trippier's the only one. And he's almost at 50% ownership. The other tw the 28 other players, the highest scoring players, under 10% ownership. And that's the wasteland that is FPL. FPL is a game. It's just so um, outcome dependent. That I, I find that it's, it's a wasteland of a game. That's just my opinion. Um, what do you think? I think the fact that hardly anybody hauled, right? Uh, I'm just looking at that list, and I think only tons four. of tons of players hauled. Um, I'd say it, it's like slightly over ten. I don't think it's that many players, to be honest. Um, when well, twelve place, players. Yeah. So I do feel though that um among the content creators, uh, Cole Palmer is going to be a name that's going to continue to rise in stock. Uh, who we will talk about later, but I think yeah that this this game week has basically made a name for Cole Palmer and his penalty duties. But more on that later. Um, mm -hmm. There's yeah, I think yeah. so there, there's something. Oh, um, go ahead. Yeah. Go on. Go ahead. Oh, okay, sure. Uh, one thing I do want to point out is that uh, despite the low scores that a lot of people are posting this week, it has to be said that there are a lot of fives and sixes by the popular players. So although they didn't haul, there are little points here and there, such as um, Mitoma's five, uh, Bowen seven, you know, that, that did not make the list here. And I do feel that that has contributed to a lot of people who got 30 points randomly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that adds up. That all mm -hmm. adds up. Yeah, it does. It it does all add up. Um, 
I, I think I think twelve players hauling in a game week is I don't know I'd, I'd have to go back and look at the numbers but just but doing these review shows I feel like we it's usually around ten to twelve so it feels normal to me um, so yeah I, I, I don't know let's let's get into I, I what I do oh I, I know what I was gonna say Cole Palmer so I've been writing about Cole Palmer I've been kind of like highlighting his potential for about three weeks now in in matchups and there are two things main things that I highlight one is the penalties. Um, so we, we've been on that for, for several weeks now, but the other thing that Cole Palmer does is this kind of false nine role that he puts himself in, in, in games. And I'd love to hear your perspective on that because I've been writing about that for a while. And even like in some private chats, I've been, I've been up in Cole Palmer quite a bit, um, as rivaling Anthony Gordon for, for kind of like the, that best sub 6 million, um, mid pick and i think people are finally coming around to him and not so worried about the uncertainty with nkunku so i'd be curious to get your perspective but we'll, we're six minutes in and we'll get right into the matchups here so i've added a little thing here as, as you can see um fulham zero with an xg of 1.01 manchester united one with an xg of 0 0.69 so why don't you talk us through this game and as you do <laughs> i have to i, I mean Comb, obviously Comb is in, in the chat. He says, Darwin wouldn't have scored that gift Fulham gave the rat. And by the rat, I, I believe he is talking about Bruno Fernandes. So what, 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 what can you tell us? Oh, this this game was small chances all over the place. I think the most exciting thing that happened this game was uh, to see, you know, as you came through, I don't know whether you remember one week ago, you asked me, is there going to be an ideal world where William, Iwobi, and Andreas Pereira all start? There you go. Ta-da! <laughs> there it is. Um, the unfortunate thing here is that Iwobi was the casualty as um, Andreas Pereira played the number 10, but Iwobi was right central midfield. Uh, at least he's better than Harrison Reed. So, you know, moving mm -hmm. forward, um, Fulham did okay. Well, the problem is that they only did okay. They, William created lots of things for himself on the left, but the most invention came via the right side. Nothing to do with Timothy Kastan, thank goodness, but Iwobi and Harry Wilson did a lot of work down the right side in order to overload Diogo Dalo and the rest of Man United's midfield. I think the key here is really Man United because I don't think we will ever invest in Fulham in the near future. But for Man United, it works like this. Imagine if a good friend breaks your trust. I refuse to bring opposite gender analogies into this. And... I like it. The question is, if they, if you have a friend that has recently betrayed you, and you, what, and that friend wants to win your trust back, it has to start with the little things because Man United as an outfit right now, don't do anything well. I think it's good that they benched Rashford after the whole party celebrating his brother's birthday thing, and that put the spotlight on Ganacho to start on the left. But really, this highlighted one of Ten Hag's tactics that he has been regularly implementing throughout games, putting his fullback into midfield. Diogo Dalo, by default right now, for some weird reason, sits in line with Ericsson and Bruno Fernandes and Scott McTominay. <laughs> He's trying to do this 3-2-2-3 system or 3-2-3-2 system if Martial is on the pitch. And... Basically, Diogo Dalo would be in central midfield, making sure that the likes of Ericsson and Bruno Fernandes are all ahead of him. And then he would have these cute little switches to the left flank, to Ganacho. And then Dalo himself would actually bomb down the left flank. Personally, I like seeing these little basic things done well. At least much better than Anthony trying to dribble down the right side and complaining to the linesman <laughs> for losing the ball himself. You know... Things, at least that involve relationships, working relationships anywhere between two players should at least be the foundations of what good things that can potentially come. Because I do feel though that Bruno Fernandes with Ericsson and McTominay right behind him is officially the best balance among all the midfielders that they have in this squad right now. And it's just unfortunate that Man United had to wait until the 90th minute for that to bear fruit. It involved a little bit of pinball, but across the entire match, at least the most stable midfield <laughs> looks like that so far. The most stable midfield. Productive, I don't know, but it's the most stable. And I will end it at that. Hmm. Did, did Manchester United deserve this win, in your opinion? 
<laughs> no, it deserves to be nil nil from the get go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's 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 what I thought too. And I I don't know how. So are you are you saying like Dallo steps in the midfield in essence, creating kind of like a three box three situation? But yes. But then then the the ball goes diagonal to to Garnacho on the other side. It um no on the same side. So Dallo's. Dalo played left back. Sorry, I forgot to mention. He played left back. Yeah. Juan Bisaka played right back. And Dalo from left central midfield just played this mid-range pass over to the left for Ganacho to hold it on the wing. Then oh, Dalo bombs did, himself got, down the left. Got it, got it, got it, got it. Um, do you see Dalo staying at the left? One, do you... And number two, I guess, you know, there are some people... I, you know, I I feel like this game should have been zero zero, and it also feels like anybody with with United defense got lucky. I don't know if that's just. I, I don't know if those two things are compatible. If if they can, if if they're or if they're mutually exclusive. Um, but what what do you do? Like, do you do you trust? You don't trust Manchester United anything, obviously. Um, if you're invested in a four point two million Harry Maguire, what what? How do you see that situation? I think right now, you just have to understand that Man United literally like any alternatives at left-back. No Luke Shaw, no Tyrell, what's his name, Malasia. And they've tried Lindelof for a number of games now, and it just doesn't work. So Diogo Dalo is basically the next best thing, the fourth best thing in line that is actually working. Um, if you want to upgrade for that little bit more money, yeah, sure. Uh, absolutely no complaints, because as long as that partnership on the left stays as is, it'll do well. Or at least it'll do decently. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, and, and you know, it is it is important to note, and Colm notes that um, Maguire did get a concussion, um, and he played very well. Uh, so, yeah, maybe, like, scrambling the way he thinks is actually a, a benefit to Maguire, but I, I hope he's okay. If he did have a concussion, though, I, that could put him out for the next for the next game. So that's just something to keep an eye on. Um, all right, we can move on to the next one. Brentford 3, West Ham 2. Brentford 3 with uh, an XG of 1.63. West Ham 2 with XG of 1.82. Right, uh, here we go. So I'm going to start with what the slides say because the slides mentioned plenty. Uh, first things first, Wisa, right? Uh, we've known for him to go down the middle. This time he actually played down the left because push come to shove. This has happened once in the last eight game weeks. Finally, Aaron Hickey is out until next year, which meant left back mm. is a left midfielder. Vitali Yanelt shifted all the way to the left side. <laughs> and that meant Onyeka played right central midfield and Jensen, the jewel in this crown, went to the left. So you have Yanelt and Jensen all pushed to the left and Wisa has decided to join them too, which amplifies the potential of Mopai as the number nine. Not I'm not I'm not advocating <laughs> that people buy a new Mopai. You know, it's it's just more of like the left side has finally lit up. They, it has literally lit up. Um, a lot of early chances were created basically by overloading that left side, you know, to have that left central midfield bomb all the way forward. But less about that, more on the slides. Set pieces, yes. Brentford throw in, yes, <laughs> all the way. Um, I think the only thing was that West Ham uh were sorely lacking Kurt Zuma. Mavropanos is not an aerial threat. And it really showed. Whatever cross Brentford put in, outswingers, in-swingers, Mavropanos and Aguirre basically struggled to deal with the fact that they basically couldn't position their body to deal with the threats, especially when Nathan Collins knows, right? It's like, it's so telepathic now. It's so impressive how they can in integrate Collins into the side so quickly despite being a new player. And if an outswinger comes in from Matt Jensen, Collins is jumping early. He's high above a good despite, you know, him being like aerially more dominant. And if the in-swinger comes in, Collins is running at full speed, trying to just get any sort of touch. And that's how he forced the own goal out of Mavropanos. It's just a revelation how Brentford have capitalized on their set pieces so well by introducing so much variety, especially from that right-hand side. So, yeah, I think they will continue to build on that because Brentford right now, 
whatever they are doing and if they're doing it well <laughs> like you can only see them like abusing this particular trait for the next few game weeks so Mbomo will definitely be amongst the chances but yeah then the method to the madness right now is how well they are doing all their set pieces so buy a Brentford center back if you want to punt on it it's it's really worth buying Collins especially very very good punt from game week 14 onwards Hmm, oh, sorry, West Ham. Sorry, West? sorry, forgot about it. Yeah, West Ham. So uh, the thing here was uh, Paqueta and Edson Alvarez were both uh, suspended because they picked up yeah. five yellow cards each. So uh, yeah, it's a really one-off situation where they had Moyes had to play Ben Rama on the left and Kudus strictly on the right side. But wow, they were fast. They were really, really fast. The irony was that um, I think it was a throw-in as well that they uh, got Kudus's overhead kick, where I think the throw-in went for Antonio and he crossed for Kudus's spectacular goal. Um, but really, you know, the, the fact that the left can create for the right and the right can create for the left. Kudus actually had this massive chance created for Antonio where Ben Rama was right behind him screaming for the tap-in and Antonio just stuffed it, you know, and <laughs> yeah, that shot went over the bar. So it just goes to show that Moyes can actually use this directness as a potential plan A if the Paqueta plan isn't working out. So that is something I feel Moyes will struggle with, especially when he wants to integrate Kudus into his starting eleven over the coming weeks. Yeah, it was interesting. Um, so so with, with those suspensions, Moyes played without a 10. And and then the thing is that... that it, it's a little counterintuitive, right? Because that 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 ten almost acts can act as as a stopper at times, um, kind of like the ball checks to the ten before it goes forward. Um, so taking that ten out and playing a four four two kind of opens up those diagonal lines that, um, from Kudus to Antonio and from Ben Rahma to Bowen, right? Um, so I wonder if there's a world. I mean, when say well, when those players come back. Obviously, um, they they come back in, but even in a four two three one, surely Antonio has to be dropped, right? Who knows? I mean, I, I, it's more of we just have to react to Moyes's favorite setup and act accordingly. If they go with this direct setup, the most reliable asset is actually Bowen. Uh, Kudus will be subjected to his finishing, but Bowen as the dual, the second number nine alongside Antonio is far, far more dangerous, at least compared to when Paqueta is in the side and Bowen's stuck on the mm -hmm. right side, you know, trying to do his little bunny rabbit acceleration thing on his own. Yeah, but that's that's why I, ju I just see um, with, like, you drop Antonio, you play Bowen at the nine, you play Kudus on the right, you play Benrahma on the left, Right and Paqueta in the middle, and mm -hmm. you, you well, don't yeah. you don't lose the speed. Paqueta has has the movement to get out of the way of those passing lanes. Um, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I, I I hope we see that. I hope we see that from Moise. Um, got a quick question coming in here from Calm. Do we think Kudus or Bomb will we place? Yeah, that, that that's that's will we replace an out of form Antonio? Um, that that that's what I'm. I don't know. I I I don't know because Moyes has done. He's rather than continue an evolution, he'll he'll keep things the same sometimes. But um, I, for me, that's the obvious. That's just, it's just the, the obvious thing to do. As long as, as Ben Rahma is in form enough, you know, to to play. I don't I don't know why he, he's barely played this season. Um, obviously, I'm not a practices. So it's it's, um, it's about the purpose of the number nine. It really is about the purpose of the number nine. The reason Bowen is dangerous alongside Antonio is because Antonio is occupying, occupying both centre-backs. And mm -hmm. you see it in the Bowen goal. <laughs> the moment Kudus took his shot, Bowen's on hand. He's the first one to react. But it's only because Antonio is having the attention of both uh, Brentford centre-backs. Sure, so in, in that... In that setup, right? But if if we go with the um with the formation that I just suggested, and and, and like like Colm is suggesting as well, dropping Antonio, then the way you occupy the center act, center backs is you get is with the wide players with Kudus and Ben Rahma, they charge and they force the center backs to step to support the fullbacks. Yeah, that's, as I don't think as that's, they get into that's space, that's not gonna work. That's not gonna work. 
At least people have, wise, people have wised up against West Ham in that sense. They'd rather just sit there and wait for West Ham to attack them. I don't know. I don't if, if, I, 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 if, I, if I were a defending manager, I, I wouldn't trust the player uh, my left back 1v1 against Kudus or Ben Rahma, to be honest. So they, they can okay. both skin any defender. But yeah, well, we'll see. We'll see what, uh, what Moyes does. Um, keep an eye on that. Um, might have a little prediction for that for game week 12. All right. Next one, Burnley 0 with an XG of 1.12 and Crystal Palace 2 with an XG of 1.3. Ez is back. <laughs> well, sort of. I mean, he didn't start. Sort of. He didn't start. Yeah, sort of. So, uh, as it stands, left wing, Schlup, right wing, Ayu. So, the question comes down to, you know, you're, you're Crystal Palace. You're away from home and you take the lead really, really early, right? Thanks to Jordan Ayu. Oh, you've, you've got to watch it. Like, Gabe, if you want to watch somebody being sent to the hot dog stand, this is it. This is like across all the matches so far. This is the one moment where long ball comes in. Jordan Ayu robs Jordan Bayer. Huh, what a pun. And yeah, like <laughs> Bayer, Bayer is literally left spinning on his own. It's amazing. While Ayu is like running towards the box at full speed. It's beautiful. I only highlighted um, one player in this match and it was Ayu. Yeah, I mean, you know, in, in, in the thread, so, so there you go. <laughs> uh, however, um, Eze's return, we do have to talk about that because in the end, um, as Palace broke to get their second goal, Eze was in that number 10 position behind whatever attackers around him. So we will see that definitely happening in the far future. Eze came on for uh, Dokore, so he still had the backing of Lerma as well as Hughes behind him. So this is definitely a position that Eze can absolutely own. The question comes down to Schlup's positioning because Schlup, as we know, can play central midfield. He can also play left wing. So if Schlup is left wing, Eze is in the centre. But if Schlup is in central midfield, Eze will be pushed out to the left. It's a 50-50 thing at the moment. But as it stands, as it stands, Schlup is on the left, Eze is in the centre. So that's only good news for all of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yes, yeah. Burnley. Uh, yeah, Burnley are rubbish without Foster. Sorry. Um, I mean, they're getting there, but reliance on their new Foster, the budget version, Kolyosho, doing okay, just much more effective on the flanks compared to Foster's dribbling through the centre. That's I can just sum it up like that. Um, yeah, and Kolyosho's impact is like the best part of 60 minutes, but after, after the hour mark, he completely fizzles out. That's the unfortunate thing. And Odobe mm. is just not the same quality. Okay, moving on to the next one. Everton 1, Brighton 1, Everton XG 0.71, Brighton with an XG of 0.51. Um, and uh, I admit, like we were talking about this one earlier. I, I didn't watch this one. I didn't watch the highlights. Um, I checked out a little bit from football this week <laughs> because of the disaster and uh, and the fact that Madrid didn't win to, to an easy team as well. So it was a rough weekend. So I did other things. Um, what can you tell us here? Well, uh, Brighton tried to actually revert to their plan A, their original 4-2-3-1 formation, but by putting round blocks into square holes. Or was it the other way around? But anyway, um, yes, James Milner <laughs> played left back. James Milner played left back. Oh my goodness. Um, at least Veltman got to play right back. So that was okay. Um, I think the biggest weakness here was uh, trying to play Billy Gilmore alongside Pascal Gross in central midfield. They are rotating four players in those two positions right now. The Hood, Gross, Gilmore, sometimes Hinshelwood, and yeah, whatever other men they can field there. But as it stands, Brighton only came alive when they swapped Milner off for Bonanote. When they switched from their 4-2-3-1 into their radical 3-2-4-1 that they pulled off last week against Fulham. Yeah, because mm. that isolated Mitoma against Everton's weaker side, which was Ashley Young. <laughs> I think, yeah, it happened really, really quickly. Like, immediately after the substitution happened, Young conceded that own goal. Like, it was literally within the same two minutes. Um, But yes, the, the writing was on the wall. Mitoma was already making headway from halftime onwards. It's just that 
Everton just have a more cohesive strategy that they run very well. We already know that they rely uh, heavily on strong pressure. And the moment they took the lead in the seventh minute, they just let go. <laughs> they were like, foot off the gas. Yeah, we'll sit on the one nil lead. And Brighton had majority of possession. They had a lot of free kicks that amounted to shot. I mean, Lewis Dunk even had a goal chalked off by VAR. <laughs> so, uh, but that was about it, really. Brighton are now lacking set-piece threat, strangely. it's The house is on Lewis Dunk to take set-pieces, which blows mm-hmm. my mind. That probably explains the XG here with the Estupinian bombing down the left or any right-back bombing down the right side. So I, I think this is the problem for, for Brighton, and now Estupinian seems as he's going to be out for quite some time. We don't know how how long exactly, but certainly not. he won't be back before the international break. Um, is this Is this a problem? Is it is this a problem for say Matoma owners that went in on the good fixtures? Yes and no. Uh, Mitoma, as, as it stands, will be under ticking along status because Mitoma still does brilliant things on his own. He still does. It doesn't matter who marks him. Like he can turn. Like he beat Harrison to force the Ashley Young own goal. But prior to that, he was just going past Ashley Young like nobody's business anyway. I mean, yeah, so that's that's just Mitoma doing Mitoma things. Um, yeah, for me it's just that central midfield that they where they lack the balance right now because their default two central midfielders, Gross and Dahoud, are definitely the first choice pair. And they have to play these two players in the Premier League. Yeah, everyone else should be reserved for Europa. But you know, I think that's the rotation policy that they're failing to sort out right now. I, I wonder why he's rotating that way. Um, and, and I and I question whether it's because he thinks he can get away with Gilmore and the I don't know, I forget the the kid with the with the long last name. But um, uh, Hinshelwood, well, he's got five. Sorry, not four. Hinshelbottom so, or uh, Hinshelwood. So Hinshelwood. Yeah, Dahoud and Gross are first choice. Their understudies are Baleba and not Hinshelwood, Gilmore. So those are the first four, and then Hinshelwood mm-hmm. comes in as an emergency. Mm, I see. I just see too much rotation. I don't know if it's because the players need it, or I don't know if it's it's uh, that said to be thinking that he's he'll be okay with that rotation, but he's not okay with the rotation. Those players aren't good enough, and they've shown they showed it against Everton. What was the other game? Um, oh, against Villa. That game yeah, they just that got was... smacked. That was Hinchelwood. And Gilmore, yes, yes like what, exactly. And and the other players are healthy, so I I kind of think this is a, a manager thing. And 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 I, I I disagree a little bit. I do think that if you have Matoma, that upside that you were looking for because of the good fixtures is not there. Um, now it, it could be there if if that said he sticks with the with the three two four one and works to isolate Matoma and kind of like focuses on that. But why didn't he go out in this game in that formation? Like, why why did he come so conservatively and playing players out of position? I'm I'm not really sure. If I I love Mitoma, um, you know what, what do they have next? They have Sheffield United at home, Forest away, right? Um, if you can get Mitoma isolated in those matchups where you don't need where you can play that more aggressive formation, great. Matoma's fantastic. But if if he's gonna go in the four two three one against these teams. And I don't think anybody's a good asset. Um, I'm fading Brighton altogether. And it's it's kind of a manager issue as much as it is a personnel issue, in my opinion. Okay. But yeah, we should we should just move on and wait for Brighton to revive themselves. Yep. Well, speaking of moving on, we have Manchester City with six goals with 1.95 XG. Bournemouth with one goal on 0.91 XG. Um, what... Do you have to say to Holland triple captains like myself? Hey, oh, oh, damn, wow. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, that's fair. That's about right. <laughs> that's pretty much what I said. Yeah, I mean, Do- Doku, Doku is like the con- the ultimate converter of low XG. <laughs> he's he's like. Real Mares, but with genuine acceleration. It's quite scary. But really, uh, what I want to understand here is, number one, I'm just here 
the update, the small changes that City and Bournemouth both made. Because I do feel that's uh, very important to understand that John Stones doesn't have to play defensive midfield. He actually played centre-back this game. And this mm-hmm. allowed Kovacic and Rodri to run the show, which is wildly different from when Stones and Rodri did so against Man United last week. It's a vastly different system because John Stones, when he roams across the pitch, he prioritizes stability. He doesn't want to crash into opposing boxes. But Kovacic, he seems to be like me. Well, not me in the player sense, but me as in when my wife is doing chores around the house and I'm trying to avoid her, but I cannot. And she's like, get out of the way. And I tell her, I'm trying. But that's Kovacic right now. Any city movement, any players that accelerate around the penalty area, Kovacic seems to be in the way. But he still somehow gets big chances himself. <laughs> it's really weird. But that's that's the awkwardness of Kovacic in central midfield right now. And that has enabled the likes of Doku and you know the rest of um, City's wide players, especially, to come into the fray. So put it this way. Um, right now, I think I might have figured out a method to the madness that is Man City. Because based on who they play in that dual pivot, right, as well as whatever fullback that wants to invert into midfield, they can actually establish this very important key connection from a safe-looking City into, holy cow, they're attacking our back four, Man City. <laughs> you know, there's, mm. there's this one pass that they have to make in order to establish that dominance. So early season, when they did not have John Stones, that pass was basically from defensive midfield into attacking midfield. This was when we saw Foden and Alvarez flitting about, you know, running around in half spaces and whatnot. Then we saw the rise of Doku and Kyle Walker on the flanks. So this was when we had central midfielders play wide. That was when, you know, the wide players were providing assists for Haaland at the far post and all that. Most mm-hmm. recently, we are seeing this trend where the ball is out wide. Think of Man United, right? Bernardo Silva actually makes a very deliberate run to go outside of Doku or was it Grealish or something like that. And this is creating a danger that starts from the outside going into the center. So it's a it's like a plan C or at least variant the third variation of plan A where they have majority of the ball out wide now. The ball is majority out wide and they just play one penetrative pass into the center. They either look for Kovacic or for the first goal, they look for Rodri. The key is always Rodri because Rodri in early season was playing slightly right side. Then he started to crash opposition boxes. Now he's just outside the box and whenever Doku plays a pass to Rodri, the field just opens up and suddenly City looks super dangerous. So that that is the key right now. If you want to play this in terms of FPL, you look for who Rodri passes to. That's your gem right there. That's your gem. Uh, I can't say that they'll play Bournemouth every week because I think their upcoming schedule is quite tough. (laughs) But I, I can say for sure that uh, Rodri will most likely be the catalyst and all you have to do is watch that player to see who he feeds it to. Because in this case, he fed Doku for one goal, he was near Bernardo Silva for the other. I think it was like one of those shots, right, that came off Akanji for their third. It just happened so fast. And, you know, we just got to keep a lookout for that. Look look for Rodri and where he goes. Uh, for Bournemouth, we noted the three at the back system. And... The difference between last week against Burnley and this week against Man City was that instead of having Tavernier as the left wing back, they played Kirkesh as the left wing back. So Tavernier, so it's like instead of you know what we imagine a back five to be, right? A super wide and flat back five, like how Brentford do it, they actually had five players cram the entire penalty box. It's really, really funny. Um, because they're just there and the likes of Julian Alvarez just goes around the box and he's like, I have no space to receive the ball because I'm just there and I'm sandwiched by two players permanently in the penalty area. So that was why Julian Alvarez was properly marked out of the game. And the four wide midfielders basically circled the five defenders like a rainbow. (laughs) That was how Bournemouth built themselves up to counter City. And it's just unfortunate that the four midfielders had so much space to cover, they gave all that space to Rodri. Um, 
Again, I cannot promise that they will go with this setup next game, but everything that moves forward for them involves Tavernier, at least for now. Because Tavernier and Billing? No. Tavernier and their other wide player, not Sinistera, but their right winger, they tuck in. And when Christy. they do, um, sometimes. In this case, Billing and Christie were the two central midfielders. But uh, I think it was Semenyo on the right side. So no, it was uh, Scott and Billing were the two central oh, midfielders, sorry, and and Christie was on the right. Yeah. So the wide midfielders are the ones that do the pressing traps, and then they release Solanke. <laughs> so um, yeah, it's either Tavernier to Solanke or Christie to Solanke right now, as it stands. Mm. That's the um, so the, there's a question here in the chat um, from K7 asking if uh, Rodri is a good option for FPL. But I, I, I want, yeah, I want you to feel that question. But I also wanted to ask you, um, how is is there a way, kind of like a a way to to determine a way for the tactics in the next game to determine where kind of I guess Rodri's eyes will go, like. Like how how do you determine who is the player that that he's passing to in a, in a in an in any given game before that game has happened? One and two, the fact that he is in and around most goals doesn't make him a, an interesting budget option in FPL. Uh, well, number one, the unfortunate thing is that Rodri will permanently be the hockey assist guy, the assister to the assister. So mm-hmm. unless Rodri shoots hit in a, unless he slams home a screamer. Rodri will not be an option for FPL. Uh, however, it's like whenever you give, like when you play football in real life, there will be like that one guy that will always try to set you up. Rodri is that guy. So imagine Doku passing the ball to Rodri. Rodri can literally give it back to Doku or he can just switch it over to Carl Walker on the other side. So in order to predict tactical advantages next game onwards, you actually have to look at who's unavailable for City. That's probably more important. It, it involves mm. a little bit of predicting Pep Roulette, but if you know that Rodri's going to be on the right side of midfield with Stones alongside him, then you know that the entire right side is going to be activated. I mean, I'm sure Champions League games will give some clues. Um, but if you know that Rodri's going to be alongside Kovacic and then you have Bernardo Silva around, running outside them, then you know that the left will have equal weightage. So... I do feel that the people unavailable for City will determine where Rodri will go. Yeah, that's really in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. And I would say, like, uh, from my perspective, obviously, just just for Holland captainers, um, right process, wrong outcome, I think, um, and and you move on. Six goals, some missed chances, could have had two in the first half. Maybe should have. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah. Sorry about this one, Mister Mister Teacher. You're getting a lot of love here in the chat from Vincent. Uh, it's nice to see Vincent here at FPL Teacher Legend. You're absolutely amazing. You taught us all FPL masterclass. It's like attending an FPL lecture right now. So you're killing it. I I, I love that. Um, I want to be using a lot of that for in the Rodri information, that insight there for, for matchups in game week 12. So that was that was really great to hear. Um, Sheffield United 2 with an XG of 1.05. Wolves 1 with a higher XG of 1.33 uh, without Pedro Neto, of course. Um, I... Net, Neto was was my was going to be, be my one-week punt. Um, t- tell us about what, what happened. What, what was the impact? How did they start? I think you called it, right? I think you said uh, Sasha would be, Kalajic would be on the left, and I think he did start on the left, didn't he? Ish. Well, Ish? It's more of like no, no, nobody started on the left. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all, yeah, all of City's three forwards, uh, Sasha... Kunya and Huang all lean towards the right. Mm. So this graphic here is a little bit false because Kunya does a lot of off-the-ball work. Uh, sorry, the graphics shows that uh, Huang is central right. Uh, number seven... That was that was against Newcastle, oh, though. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Okay, my bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that, that was um, in the game before. So and I'm looking on sofa score, and it looks like um, you guys set up in a 4-4-1-1 with Kunya as the 10-slash-false-9 and Sasha... 
further forward. But then you look at Sasha's heat map, and and a lot of it does focus around that right hand side. Um, as does Cunha's, which is interesting. You get your two tips going to the right. Um, but and my hope was that 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 would open something up for Ryan Aidnuri on the left hand side. I picked him up in draft and was disappointed with uh, with the results there. But I guess that focal point on the right was Sasha Mateus and and Huang. Tell us about that. I mean, it's just a simple case of the right creating for the left. Huang, I mean, Sasha mm. releases Huang, just as how DCL releases McNeil. And then Huang will create from the right. It's just a matter of Huang, whether he has the confidence to add his dribbling into the mix. When Huang dribbles, it completely throws defenders off. But, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not going to wax lyrical about that because Ainuri did have a huge, huge chance on the half-hour mark. But uh, I think most important here is that Every month, the referees screw Wolves over. Uh, and and it's getting ridiculous now. Because I think it does affect the tactics of O'Neill's and the confidence that he places. Mm. We are having this issue of sorting out central midfield because the Lamina's partner used to be Joao Gomez. But right now, uh, it looks like Tommy Doyle is vying for a spot. And this completely changes the passing range of all of Wolves' players. This will probably remain for another two weeks before we see Pedro Neto come back into the fray. And it's just a matter of how fast we want to attack rather than who attacks. But, you know, that's that's two weeks into the future. I'm not going to spend too much time on this because we are kind of behind. Sheffield United. Uh, difference here was that Josh Baldock came in as an outside centre-back. So they reverted back to their 3-4-1-2, 3-4-2-1. The key difference that Sheffield United made here that actually got them the lead was that instead of playing two forwards with Brewster and Archer, they just made Archer the lone forward. <laughs> they brought Brewster off at halftime-ish and they brought McAtee on. Completely changed the pace of Sheffield United's attacks and Wolves could not cope. Wolves absolutely hate it when attackers run at them or run behind them. And that was exactly the skill set of Cameron Archer. Um... But beyond that, Wolves themselves, well, yeah. I mean, the the problem here is that for FPL purposes, we, these things only last for two weeks, right? With Pedro Neto expected to be back after the international break. So, mm-hmm. we, yeah, I mean, who, who do Wolves even play next? I don't even know. I, I, can't, I can't expect much, right? You just can't. So, uh, yeah. The, the, since First. they are not really... Yeah, since they're not really part of the conversation, we should just... You know, let it be. I, I know Spurs are missing two defensive players, but <sighs> I mean, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Those those who went in on maybe punted on Huang or punted on on Cunha, are those players a hold now against Spurs, or or you know, do you punt them for? Do, do you like you know, bring in obviously not maybe not Palmer because they play City, but um, somebody else as a um, a, yeah. a Brighton mid. I don't know. Do you sell? Do you sell your? Do you sell your wolves punt? Oh no! Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Okay. Not right now. Yeah. yeah. As long I as thought. they are healthy, don't don't sell. Yes. Yeah, and 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 up and hosting a a battered Spurs team that you know missing defenders. Um, I I, I think you I think you hold on to the punt for one more week. Yep. Cool. Okay. Next match, uh, Newcastle. Oh, this will this will be a fan favorite. Newcastle one, Arsenal zero. Newcastle one point zero four xG, Arsenal zero point five seven um, xG. Uh, I mean, do you want to just get the? Do you want to just talk about the the get the goal conversation out of the way really quickly here? What you mean the That's, angle of the camera? Just, I mean. are, I guess Arsenal Arteta's complaint. Uh, complaints about the goal. Arsenal fan complaints about the goal. What, what was your perspective on the goal? You have to look at the sequence of events that led up to this goal. Because in the end, right, the, the sequence of it is that Arsenal were building an attack down the right side and uh, somebody mm. took a shot and it went horribly, horribly wide. I think it was Joe Linton or something like that. Yeah, it was Joe Linton. And, and that itself was already from a good position because Joe Linton, I believe, from the left drifted over to the right half space just to take that shot. And you see 
uh, I forgot who it was, right? Chase all the way to the left byline just to save that ball. So I think in the context of things, the home crowd and partially the little boy inside the referee wanted that ball to stay in because you, you see this player hustle and you look at the angle that it's going away from you because everyone's just witnessed a shot at goal very, very badly missed by Joel Linton, right? And then you see the ball trickle towards the corner flag. And you see this one guy running towards the corner flag and half of us hopes that he makes it, half of us hopes that he doesn't. And because it's a Newcastle player chasing it down, when he saves it, you see that the Newcastle player's body is literally hugging the corner flag. That was how fast he was sprinting to recover the ball. Like, you've been there, right? Right, Running at mm -hmm. full pelt and you, you get the ball and it's like just barely in. Or you want to believe that it's in, even though you see the majority of the ball is out. And if the whistle doesn't go against you, you just play on. So I think that was yeah one of the, the biggest things about but this. The, but, the ball, but the ball wasn't out, right? No, it was not. You think not. the ball was I mean, out? No, it was not out. Okay, so, the, so that part taken care of. The ball's not out. The play, the play goes on. The, the next issue, right? The ball gets played inside. The yeah. next issue is um is the push, push right? Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Uh I I mean I'm not a referee expert. So it just comes down to who witnesses these things. Uh I think is it though? Right. Do, the, do you the, need the, to be so, a referee so, expert? <laughs> yes, because the decision process of the referees, we know. Like what happens within the room what they do when they're witnessing an event, we understand that process now. But what we do not see is the trigger to what gets the referees to look at. Because you can't tell VAR to look at literally every player in every corner of the pitch. Somebody has to tell them, hey, look at this. Hey, look at this. And as it is in that whole sequence of events, the entire room was probably spending their entire resource uh, looking at <laughs> whether the ball crossed the line. So I understand if they did not have time to look at that Gabriel push, you know. Yeah, I don't know. I, 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 I'm, I'm gonna move. I'm gonna move it on because I, I don't want to spend too much time on referees and and re relitigating plays. But the ball wasn't out. Stop complaining that it was. It was a clear push on the back. Get your shit together in the Premier League. It, don't tell me you don't have time to review it. Like everyone else is seeing the same thing, and we all see the push on the back. And friggin' move on, man. I, I don't know. Referees really just have to like get their act together because they're they're, just, they're all crap in this league. Anyway, but let's get to things that are more interesting. What what did you see in this game tactically? Well, the unfortunate thing was that Odegaard wasn't fit, so we had <coughs> Kai Havertz uh, doing Kai Havertz things. Um, we sort of predicted that the battle on the flanks would determine the outcome of this entire match. We did not see Saka really take on Dan Byrne because he was hooked at halftime. Wow, Livermento is solid. Like, we knew he could attack. We did not know he could defend that well. Um, Martinelli, though, did much, much better against Trippier. I think it's about time we understand that Trippier can be exposed. But, you know, being that experienced defender Trippier is, he knows how to show Martinelli inside. And Martinelli just did not take advantage of the number of opportunities that he had taking on Trippier 1v1. I think this is something that, you know, Wolves have done it now. Arsenal are doing it now. Anybody that takes on Newcastle in the future is almost certainly going to try and take on Trippier 1v1. Uh, but beyond that, everything was just so physical. It was hard to tell. It was just so start-stop, you know? Especially when Kai Havertz made that stupid, stupid tackle that deserved the rate. That just set the tone yeah, for a super physical contest, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and, and it was it was it was a a battering. It was an interesting contest, especially like um, at the beginning. I'm just looking at uh, some average player positions here. Um, yeah, you know, New, Newcastle they they looked quite compact and and, and narrow in, in in their shape. I think they played. They know they have injuries and stuff, so I think that they played Arsenal a little more conservatively and and tried to keep Arsenal. I think like Newcastle's line of confrontation was like just past the center circle in their own half, kind of, and they they wanted to keep the a, a battle in there where if they lose the battle they still have time to recover and and they have their you know um, some defensive players just waiting there and if they win the battle they have space to run into and and uh, and I thought um, 
again, how how was impressive and when when he took off Dan Byrne uh, for for Livermento and knew that Livermento would be better in shutting down uh, Saka. Um, really, uh, kudos to that. Um, I kind of I was hoping this this match would end in a draw, so it was a little disapp- the, the goal was a little disappointing, but um, happy as a an Anthony Gordon owner, of course. All right. Next one, Nottingham Forest 2 with an XG of 0.38. Aston Villa 0 with an XG of 1.23. What happened here, my friend? Uh, basically, Forest played their entire game outside the Aston Villa block. <coughs> and Aston Villa played their entire game outside the Forest block. <laughs> Neither side got into each other's boxes until Leon Bailey came on. Um... It's just okay, okay. I'm gonna talk about Forrest first because we said that Gibbs White will get behind Lucas Dean. That was exactly not the case. Because once again, the Nottingham Forest impact player is not Morgan Gibbs White anymore. It is Alvaro Dominguez. That man is making waves. <clears throat> he operated on the left side and he was the sole reason Forrest had so many chances behind Medicash. Um, he didn't exactly release Tofolo on the left side, but he himself helped Ilanga get behind Cash, and then Dominguez himself, as well as Tofolo, would actually trudge up the field. And yeah, those two goals you see from the 0.38 XG were basically shots from outside going through a sea of players. Simple as that. <laughs> one was Aina's shot coming off Mangala, and then yeah. the other one was Aina himself scoring. So it's like, yeah, you know, that type of game. Um, but the bigger question is why Villa was so disappointing in attack. And <clears throat> just as Luton proved, right, you just need presence in the penalty area. And strangely, they don't have any area presence in the penalty area without set pieces. So, um, yeah, I think we finally found a chink in Aston Villa's armour. They have nothing aerially, right? Did your hidden matchup say anything here? I mean, I, I didn't talk about the aerial threat. I, I think what happened here was Villa played their, um, or they they tried playing their. That I think that lacking an aerial presence, it makes sense to play that narrow four two two two, and and Forest played around them. Whenever you know they 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 didn't engage in that right, and then they just played kind of conservatively and played around them. Um, yeah, it is interesting. Villa have no aerial threat and that's probably why they're attacking with the right more than than the left because dean's crosses would go uh, nowhere obviously um but i i couldn't figure out why why um why watkins wasn't maybe a more of a direct recipient or a recipient of more direct balls um and I don't know, maybe too much reliance on the center mids in this one. No, I don't know. I, 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 I have I have the answer to that. I have the answer to that. <clears throat> it's because um, Villa had to go through the flanks to play outside of Forest. So um, that's the reason Medicash was brought off, actually, because they knew that the only way they could get crosses into the box was via the left side. Not through Lucas Dean, just the overloads of McGinn mm-hmm. and Douglas Luiz all bombing on the left side. So this particular matchup actually favoured Diaby. Because Watkins is not a fox in the box. Diaby actually was one of those players that could pick up <coughs> loose balls inside the penalty area and take shots for himself. Whereas mm. in the first half, when Bailey was not on the pitch, they actually tried to dispossess Forest players and hit them yeah, really, really hard. So this was where mm. Zaniolo had like a multitude of chances completely missed where he failed to actually score, really. I think the... Zaniolo's profligacy is starting to cost Villa points, even though yep. he didn't show up earlier. Yeah, yeah. Stop playing with the ten, and Zaniolo at the ten, and and ba- and Bailey is making a difference. Um, so I, I agree with you. Zaniolo's holding him back. All right, we'll move on to the next one. Here we got a couple more to go. Still trying to get out here in the next five minutes or so, six minutes. Uh, so we'll, we're going to go a little bit quick fire here. Luton won with a point with a XG of 0.81. Liverpool won with an XG of 2.85. We're back to the uh, the Darwin Nunez um, X post there from from Troll Football. What can you tell us about this game quickly? As we just have two more matches to review. Long story short, Graven Burke <coughs> is growing into the game. 
he is really starting to do the things that uh, Nabi Keita could not do due to his injury history. Um, but still, all the usual things that we suspected would come true would come true. Um, Salah created for Darwin, um, and you know Diogo Jota got plenty of chances himself, not created by Salah. The crucial thing here is that now the left can create as well. Um, Javi Elliott is actually a very underrated impact player coming off for uh, coming on for Sobosalai. That is something we should look out for, especially if Sobosalai loses form. Um, and yeah, Trent. Trent now is playing not only right back, not only right central midfielder, but he pops up on the left of central midfield late in the game. So I don't know where this goes, but hopefully. It's something that Klopp will expand on, as I personally am a very big fan of Trent changing positions. Mm. Same, <coughs> same. Um, how'd Luton get theirs? Just a counter-attack, really. I, I think full credit goes to Ross Barkley for being composed enough to bypass the Liverpool's pressure after that Liverpool corner. Because if Ross Barkley does not do that they cannot release that 3v2 counter that got uh chong's goal but yeah it's it's just a game of moments it really is just a game of moments for luton yeah and, i i thought know. of you right away when when, when chong <coughs> scored because uh of chong's kind of role at the begin initially at the beginning of the season and you highlighted him a little bit so i thought that was cool that he came and scored all right um in terms of liverpool assets Luis Diaz still, I, I think Luis Diaz is a hold. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know what happens between Jota and Darwin anymore. Um, I, I think, I think those are Jota, Darwin, Kakpo are, are that's, I think that's where the rotation is going to be. And Diaz and Salah are more permanent fixtures. What do you think? I think Diaz has aerial presence. That's something that's underrated about him. He's got this fantastic. But so does number. Jota. So does Jota. I think Jota places himself better. He doesn't jump as well, but he knows how to be at the right spot to <clears throat> pick a spot when he makes hitters. But yeah, I, I think it's about placement for both of them because they're both that not neither one of them are tall. Diaz he can jump, but he he can't get up against the, the bigger center back. So it's always about placement with those two. That just shows how intelligent of players they are. I, I think they're, um, yeah, they're both smart in that that regard. Um, yeah, I don't know if uh, anyway. Well, we'll talk more about uh, their specific assets and whether they're a hold or not tomorrow on the matchups show. And the final game of the week: Tottenham one with two red cards, zero point nine four xg. Chelsea four with four point zero four xg. <laughs> I mean. Okay, I, I think the first question we need to ask ourselves, right, is how many minutes of this game is legitimate? Because um, the 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 which red card the Romero red card happened on exactly thirty one minutes, so uh, the Udogi red card happened on fifty five. So how many of how many minutes of tactics I, would be legit here? I I say zero. Because even even before that before that red card, it it was just a like just just a smash kind of game. Get out there and run and kick and like just uh, like force will by force of will almost. Um, it, it was just too much chaos for for it to be really tactics reliant in in my opinion yeah. from the very beginning. The the only theme I can uh, extract from this is that number one, <clears throat> Madison is very good at bypassing pressure. Even if Chelsea put the house on Madison, he will somehow find a way to make it through to the other side. Uh, but everyone else and in Spurs is vulnerable. Everyone else. Like, you can press Saar off the ball, you can press their back four off the ball, and you can force Spurs into mistakes. And that's mm -hmm. how I feel is the formula to beating Spurs. As for Chelsea, I think you just have to be good at what you do because Chelsea themselves are not the most solid defensively. Like, it's, it's kind of like they have a plan and they have a structure, but they don't have a system that covers each other's weaknesses. You know, we've talked about this before. They're very individualistic yeah. and, and yeah, that's it's okay. That's they're individualistic, but they are organized. And I thought they did start this game as maybe one of the better ones they had played this year. But, um, um, so you saw them as cont continued to be individualistic, just as yes. we're about to, yeah. 
Um, yeah. and that and that makes things you know hard to predict moving forward. Obviously, they have City next game week, um, followed by Newcastle, um, and then Brighton. Brighton. I mean, but but Cole Palmer is so easy that easy to get to that I think he'll always be an option. So um, we'll talk more about him on the show tomorrow as well. Lucian, that will do it. Uh, thank you, man. Thank you very much. As we are counting down, thank you to everybody in the chat. Um, whoops. I'm going to put this back up here. Thank you to all our haulers. Thank you to the super haulers. And we will see you tomorrow for the matchup show. Peace. Peace.